Welcome to Encouraging Truths for Today. We're glad to bring you this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. Now please join us as we learn to grow deeper in our relationship with God and each other. 2 Peter chapter 1. And as you're turning there, before we read, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Has the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ taken root in you? What I'm asking you is, do you belong to Christ? Have you come to the full assurance of knowing him? Has he regenerated you? Are you born again? Are you a believer in Christ? Have you turned from your sin and trusted him alone for the forgiveness of that and entrusted him with your eternity? Has the seed of the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ take root in you? And if it has taken root in you, has the gospel of Jesus Christ produced fruit in you? Because if, if the root of the gospel has been planted in your heart, there is a certain type of fruit that is to be produced. We find a list of that in Galatians 5, but also here in 2 Peter chapter 1. So we're going to read the first eight verses at the beginning of this letter. We're going to get a, a more aerial view of the beginning of this letter, and then, then we'll come down and take a closer look and back up and look at it in its context. I started to use the image of a drone, but I didn't want you to think I'd be droning on and on in my sermons, so I'm not going to use that example, but just picture that scene of coming in, seeing it closely, backing up, coming back in. So Simon Peter, as he writes, to believers in challenging circumstances, but who have faith in Christ, he says this, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained or received like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption or depravity that is in the world through lust or evil desires. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, add brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, add love. For if these things are yours and abound, 
you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Father, we pray today that you would so speak to us from your word that we would neither be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge that we have in Jesus Christ. So please speak to us. For unless you do that, I have nothing at all to say. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are a multitude of ways to look at this passage. When you, when you go through the, the adding of this to that and this to that, it, it could be called the, the recipe of a godly life where you're, you're adding this and you're adding that like you would to a, a recipe. Or it, it could be like, like a medicine where you're, you're taking this and you're taking that and, and taken together it, it produces this in your heart and life. Many commentators call this the, the ladder of, trying to find it, my, of virtues, the ladder of virtues that we're to climb. I, I, I rather like that image because the others, they're good, but the, the ladder, it, it's a climb, it's a struggle, it's energy that we invest in being a godly person. I remember when we were young parents, Deanna and I had some goals that we had for our children. And yes, they were laws before we had kids. My kid will never do that. My kid will always do that. Well, then they, they turned into goals. One of those goals that is that they would grow into be grow up to be polite people. And so we tried to teach them to say yes sir and no sir and yes ma'am and no ma'am. And to tell you the truth, there were a lot of people that didn't help us with that. They'd say don't don't say that to me. And we'd say no no no. They they need to say that to you. So we wanted them to be polite. We had some, some goals that they would be considerate. And so we went through that challenge of learning how to share. And we wanted them to be considerate of others. We wanted them to be honest, to know the difference between right and wrong and choose what is right. And with each of those goals, we quickly learned we needed to be people focused on that. I'll never forget, Jaron was probably four years old, sitting in the back seat of our car. We had driven the 30 miles we had to go to get to a Walmart. You know, that for some of you, that was like living in a, deserted island to be that far away from Walmart. There are people that had withdrawals thinking of that. 
we got there, and as happened many times, Jaron had fallen asleep on the way there. And so I let Deanne out. I went around, parked on the back side of the building there in the shade so he could go ahead and get the nap in. While we were sitting there, I, I noticed that, that my, my timing wasn't the best. Because in the car just in front of us, they had placed a sheet of wiener schnitzel coupons, uh, alias the Durr, wiener schnitzel, the Durr. And as I looked at that cart, my stomach began to growl, and I began to have this craving for a chili cheese dog. And, and I knew the way to my wife's mind was to get her focus off of how bad that is for me onto how cheap that would be. And so Jaron's asleep. I, I walk over. I, I think I'm doing the car in front of me a favor because they're probably going to throw it out in the parking lot. And so I take it off their windshield and sit down in the car and I'm looking at it. And I hear this voice in the back seat say, Daddy, that's not stealing, is it? Because it was free. And I said, no, Jaron, that's not right. Even if it's free, that's stealing. And I am so sorry I did that. So I, I got out of the car. I kind of looked around to be sure nobody thought I was moonlighting for Wiener Schnitzel. I put it back on the windshield. Got back in the car. And Jaron said something to the effect, doesn't that feel good, Dad? And I said, at that point, it did. Yes, it does feel good. So when you're, when you're raising children, you have these goals, but you've got to be the, the pace setter. And that's a challenge, isn't it? I didn't always get it right. Then we had another goal. There was a little bit more of a challenge we knew it, it would be hard for them to remember to be polite in a world where politeness is not valued. We knew it would be a challenge for them to be considerate of others when they would be surrounded with people that would not be considerate of them. And we knew it would be difficult for them to be honest when others around them might not be and might even encourage them not to be. But on a greater scale, our, our ultimate goal was that they would become a believer in Jesus Christ. That their life would produce the fruit of godliness, which would virtually cover all of that. But we also knew with that goal to a greater extent, there was more opposition aimed at that than anything else they would ever experience in their life. And that goal would come under attack in our own lives and in our relationship to a higher level than any other goal. 
So one of the temptations is to get to a place where you're satisfied with where you are spiritually and try to just land there and stay there. But, but we're gonna see in this passage, if, if you're not moving forward and upward, you're moving backward and downward. You know what the Bible calls it when you move backward and downward? They call that backsliding. We wanna move upward and forward. So that's what this passage is about. And we do that because of our heavenly father. Because he is holy, we want to be holy. He has that goal for us and he guides us through his word and by the Holy Spirit living within us, he guides us. And so let's look closely, not at this passage from the perspective of what what we can do and accomplish, but what Christ has done and will do to help us in the process. So first of all, when, when you read the latter part of verse one and into verse two, there we find that Christ enlivens us. He enlivens us. Before what this describes happened to us, We were dead in trespasses, transgressions, and sin, and rebellion, and defiance toward God. We were absolutely spiritually dead and depraved. So he's writing this letter to those who have been enlivened by Christ, to those who have received like, just like what Peter had, like precious faith with us by the righteousness of God, of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now just think about this. If you have received that gift of faith and placed that faith and trust in Christ, you have positioned yourself to be the recipient of grace and peace from God. But if someone were to read this letter that have not become a believer in Christ, none of this applies. It's like you're eavesdropping on a a conversation that has nothing to do with you. It's like you've, you've opened a letter that wasn't addressed to you and it's not aimed at you. It's like you've, you've gotten a hold of someone else's text and it, it's not about you at all if you don't know Christ. But if you have that precious faith in Christ that enlivens you and fills you with the life of God, then springing from that faith, that blessing of, of grace and peace fills your life. And so he establishes there his audience. And so today, if if you are in Christ and and he has enlivened you, this, this passage and this message is just for you. If you haven't planted your life in Jesus Christ and he has not become your Lord and Savior, then keep eavesdropping because it'll make you hungry for it to be yours. And it can be. 
And so Christ enlivens us. But, but then notice, secondly, Christ empowers us. He, he brings us to life through faith. Then it says in verse 3, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Now think about this. By his divine power, he has empowered us. How? He has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Did you know on your own, you could never accomplish that? Did you know on your own, even with earthly possessions, you can never have enough? There's always something better, always something newer, always something grander, always something more impressive, more necessary in our minds. But in a spiritual sense, there is no way that you can provide for yourself all things that pertain to your life and godliness unless God, through Jesus Christ, has provided that for you. And it says all things. So if you are in Christ and you're a believer today, you have everything completely equipped. You are ready for everything necessary for life and godliness. So if you say, I belong to Christ, but, but I'll never be as spiritual as that, or I'll never do this or that for the kingdom of God, what you're doing is you're limiting God because he's equipped you and empowered you with all things necessary for life and godliness through his power, which is divine, <clears throat> and he called us by his glory and his virtue, not based upon anything we did. Apart from Christ, you were completely powerless. But in Christ, he empowers us. So that's pretty exciting, isn't it? I, I've been enlivened by Christ. I'm being empowered by Christ, by his divine power. He's given me these things, all things for life and godliness. But then notice in verse four, thirdly, Christ equips us. By which, when you see a word like that, that is referring to something before, you need to look back and see what it is. This provision of all things that we need to paint to life and godliness through him who called us by which because of that relationship he has given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption or depravity that is in the world through sinful evil desire and so he equips us. Notice what he equips us with. Exceedingly great and precious promises. We've talked about this before, but as human beings, we can overpromise, can't we? If you dare to say to anyone, I will always be here for you, you can't say that. You won't always even be here. Only God can say, I will never leave you or forsake you. 
So even with the greatest of intentions, we overpromise, but God can never overpromise because he always exceeds and transcends whatever he promises. He, he can do it. And so we look at those, those promises in the word of God that he's given us that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That, that's one of the first promises that, that you come to understand when you come to Christ. John 3.16 is another promise. The promise is that whosoever believes in Christ should not perish but have everlasting life. Another promise is 1 John 5.12, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Another promise that we have at that point of salvation is uh, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so that's just the beginning of that inheritance of these divine promises that are exceedingly great and precious from God. But they are a means to an end, and that is, Because of these promises, he wants us to participate and be partakers of his divine nature. Now, there is a Mormon doctrine that goes like this. As God is now, I may become. And as I am now, God once was. And so their picture of God is that he's just a step ahead of us. And that theology goes in a a plethora of directions. That's not what this is talking about. I will never be completely divine. I, I I will never even be anywhere near his holiness. He is God and and I am a human being. But Here's the reality, speaking of, if you are in Christ, he has enlivened you, he has empowered you, he equips you, not just with these promises, but with his very presence within your life, of which you're able to partake of that in your everyday life. When you were a child and and you had a challenge that was gonna be tough? Didn't you find it comforting to know someone you loved and trusted as an adult would say, I'll go with you? Well, that's the promise we have from God. If he has enlivened you, What what is it that gives you that life? The person, the Holy Spirit who lives within you. He's the spirit of life. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And so you didn't go anywhere this past week. Holy Spirit wasn't there with you. You won't go anywhere this next week. The Holy Spirit is not there indwelling you and with you if you belong to Jesus. You never go anywhere without him because he takes up permanent residence in your life. Now, you may grieve him or quench him, but if you are actively partaking of his divine nature through the promises that he's given, he is very actively working in and through your life. So he equips us. Perhaps you're familiar with the words of John 15, 5. 
He uses a picture that the people of that day would have been very familiar, a vine, branches, fruit. This is what he says in John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches, he says to the disciples. He who abides in me or is vitally connected to me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So we need those exceedingly great and precious promises. And we need to partake of his divine nature because if we are vitally connected to him, our lives will be fruitful. That's what this whole passage in 2 Peter is all about, about being fruitful and God producing fruit in our lives and us producing that fruit in harmony with his activity. So he enlivens us, he empowers us, he equips us. And then fourthly, he encourages us. And here's the encouragement, verses five through seven. But also for this very reason, okay, once again, it's pointing back and what's the reason? Well, the reason is that you are a partaker of his divine nature by virtue of the fact that he has delivered you out of the world and its system and its mindset and its worldly and earthly and carnal desires And so now you are called to live that new life. You don't all of a sudden become perfect. We don't believe that when you're saved, the Bible doesn't teach that you become sinless and perfect. You still have that challenge of of living out that righteousness that God has placed within you. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue, To virtue, knowledge. To your knowledge, add self-control. To self-control, add perseverance. To perseverance, add godliness. To godliness, add brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, add love. So there's the ladder of climbing that ladder of virtues. And as you do that, you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to partake of his divine nature because everything that's in that list is something that only he can produce in your life as you pursue it. So he says, first of all, giving all diligence. That means to make every effort that you can to arrive at that point. You have a goal and you're, you're moving toward it. You're giving it all of your attention, all of your energy, all of your time, all of your talent, everything about you, you're giving diligence to that. You are pouring yourself into that. Just picture this, you, you're producing this fruit. So let's say you have an apple tree in your yard produces apples, you go out there and pick the apples. Next year, you come back out. There's no fruit on the apple tree. And you say, under your breath, I wonder why there are no apples. And the tree says to you, I did that last year. 
Now, if you hear the tree talk, you've got big issues, right? But just play, the, play with me here. Why would the tree dare to say, I did that? That's not what an apple tree does. It's not a one-time event. We would think, well, there's something wrong with that tree if it ceases to produce the fruit that it's designed to produce. And there are many people who say, well, you know, I I prayed a prayer. I, I went to church. I read my Bible. I prayed. I did all that stuff. And I, I got it. I, I produced the fruit. And I haven't done anything with it for all these years, but now I want my kids to get what I got. And the reality is they already got what you got if it didn't last. That's the reality in our lives. Because trees are designed to produce fruit and to keep on producing when it flourishes and is receiving nutrients, etc. Jesus said, he who abides in me will bear much fruit, not just once, not just a couple of times, but every season that fruit will be born by that life. Now think about the word add. When I think of the word add here in the passage, in verse five, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. I immediately think of a calculator. I think of mathematics. I think of school. I think of an equation, making things add up. I think of balancing something, working with figures. But really, that word is more picturesque in the Greek language. And so, I just want to read you what someone has said explaining this word. It's a word that has a vivid history in the Greek language and culture. They say this, in the great days of ancient Athens, the plays of dramatists written by dramatists like Sophocles and Euripides required costly, large choruses of people. And when such a play was put on, some wealthy known benefactor was the Korygos that funded that chorus that was very costly and expensive. And because those productions were extravagantly extravagantly expensive, it, it was an expression of indulging oneself, giving everything they could to, to make it what it ought to be. And hear what Peter is saying, they go on to say, Peter is saying, believers must be lavish in their time and effort that they put into developing their Christian lives, not being satisfied with getting by on the minimum, but striving to achieve the finest and most attractive production. And we do that for Christ. 
you ever been guilty of just getting by? Just knowing what would be required? I knew people in college that knew how many absences they could have, how many quizzes they could flunk, how many exams they didn't have to study for and, and just get by if they came in at the end and did very well on the final. You see, you don't have that luxury spiritually. You, you give it all you've got. You extravagantly seek to do everything you can, not to put on a show for people, but to pour out your love toward Christ because he encourages us to do that. And so the word add, if we want to continue with that word, it means to give it extravagance, indulge in it. It means to super add or to over add. And here's the reality. As we go through that list, it, it takes little explanation. But the reality is, if you're not adding to, you think you're, you're holding it your own? No, you're subtracting from. You're either adding or you're subtracting because everything you don't add turns into a minus. So just listen to the list one more time. Giving all diligence, super add to your faith, virtue. And to virtue, add knowledge. You know, we, we never know enough of God. There's always more to know. Add to your knowledge, self-control. To self-control, add perseverance. You might ask me, do you, can you exercise self-control around food? Yeah, I can. It's easy. If I'm around beets, liver and onions, asparagus, what else? Sushi. Yeah, I, I have great self-control there. If you push in a little closer, can you exercise self-control when you're waiting for Tex-Mex food and there's some queso and chips there? No, you better not get in my way. I'm going after it. What does it mean to add to your self-control perseverance? Just, just keep on in that. Make it a lifestyle in every area of your life, self-control. And to perseverance, add godliness. And godliness, add brotherly kindness where you're kind then to that add love and the word for love there is agape or God's kind of love other-centered love so he encourages us to that highest standard and so another commentary says this about this adding to in this beautiful paragraph it says Peter orchestrates a symphony of grace to the melody line of faith, he leads believers to add the harmony in a blend of seven Christian virtues, which he lists without explanation or description. So you got the melody line of faith and you're adding the harmony of these seven virtues to it. What a beautiful picture that is. He encourages us. But then fifthly and finally, he ensures us. Notice verse 8. 
For if these things are yours, notice again, you have to look back. It says, if these things, what are these things? Look back, it's those seven qualities being mixed in, orchestrated with the melody line of faith. If these qualities and these things are yours and they abound, not just are barely visible, but they abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice the word if there. For if these things are yours and they abound, not only if, if you possess them, but if they begin to possess you, that's the picture. Not do you possess love? No, has love possessed you and overcome you? Do you possess self-control? No, I'm not talking about, has self-control possessed you? Has it taken hold of you in these godly virtues? You can go through that whole list. If they are there and they abound to the controlling of your life, it makes a, a bold promise there, a promise following behind the promise of promises at the beginning. You will be neither barren nor unfruitful. So here's the picture. You can turn that inside out and it's saying, if you are not bearing this kind of fruit and it's not being added to your life, you are unfruitful and you are barren. And it talks about that in verse nine, but we're stopping at verse eight today. You will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it ends where it began. Look up at verse two. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's saying, I know you've got a knowledge of him, but now after all of this ladder climbing in a good sense, it's saying here that, that you won't be barren or unfruitful with that knowledge that God has given you through Christ. What a great picture that is. These things are really yours. They will continually be continuously being produced in your life. That's the language that's used here. So let me ask you some questions to close the message. Where are you on this ladder? That's where we all, all want to be, isn't it? On the top. Good answer. That's where we want to head. But perhaps as you look at that list, don't you find a, a slippery step on the ladder for you? Where as you climb, you slip on that one? I do. The only one that could climb this ladder of virtues doesn't have to climb. He's already at the pinnacle, and that's Jesus. We all slip. We all stumble. But I would challenge you to, to just lock in this week on that, that one step that, that tends to trip you up, that, that tends to, 
cause you to slip or, or you begin to get a little fearful in, in going that high in your faith. Where are you on the ladder? Better question for some of us might be, are you on the ladder? Have you come to faith in Christ? If not, this is just worthless good works that you're trying to do and, and it will do you no good. But if you're on the ladder and you're climbing, even when you slip, you continue to strain toward the goal of Christ's likeness. The scripture says you'll become a fruit-bearing disciple. So that's another question. If you zero in on that one thing, would you dare to pray to Christ this week? Because you have done all these things for me that there were in this passage, and because you have given me this opportunity to do this as your disciple, as you lock in on that, would, would you just cry out to him, make me a fruit-bearing disciple and believer. Oh, Father, make us a, a harvest of fruit-bearing disciples and believers. And then, are you a fruit-bearing family? In your home, if you live with other people, you're, you're raising a family, you're pouring your life into them, you're discipling, you're, you're uh, encouraging one another, you're mentoring one another, whatever those relationships are. Is it a fruit-bearing family? And then ultimately together, we have to answer the question, are we a fruit-bearing church? We would like to thank you for joining us for this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. First Baptist desires to be a house of prayer with a heart for people, making a difference by making disciples from our neighborhood to the nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, please visit www.firstcrockett.org. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you.